There's only one road into Key West, but you won't believe where it can take you. Travel back in time to a city rich with history. Discover amazing artists and musicians. Taste seafood fresh off the boat, or just kick back and soak up the island vibe. For more about Key West, visit flakeys.com. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Welcome to Small and Brown in the Rain. Fritz fans, Joe fans, Amy fans, Lori fans, Mick fans, John fans, all of you. Emily and I had another long literal discussion about Little Woman, especially about Friedrich's role as Joe's literal guide in the novel, helping Joe to find her own voice. Today's comment shoutout goes to star to be 5394 who left this comment to one of my YouTube shorts, which was about transnationalism in Little Woman. I especially like what you said about Professor Bear representing Louisa May Alcott's more major self. I hadn't considered that, but it makes a lot of sense. And it's very true about the marches helping anyone in need. When my boyfriend read Little Woman, he said he loved how supportive the family was to everyone around them. Friedrich was based on many men who Louisa loved and who inspired her as a writer. And what I meant by saying that, Louisa was in her 30s when she wrote Little Woman. And in Little Woman, Louisa is writing about her experiences, writing trashy stories to a magazine. She finds the editor's requirements quite alarming, and the working environment as well. So Friedrich represents older Louisa and her literal inspirations, giving advice to her younger self that your time would be better spent on writing something that you enjoy and working for people that you actually like. Their family was very open-minded and they opened their doors to those who were discriminated and overlooked by the society. I think I have mentioned this before, but the historian Laura Dassault Walsh wrote a, a really good essay called Louisa May Alcott and the Cosmopolitan Family, which is all about the transnational ideas that the Alcotts have about the universal family. I will put the link to the description if you guys want to read it. This episode is sponsored by Audible. I am currently reading Wilhelm Meister, which was Louisa's favorite novel, and it was written by Goethe. I am reading it in Finnish, but if I would be reading it in German, I am pretty sure that the dialogue would be pretty similar to the way Fritz speaks in Little Woman, because Louisa adored Goethe. Goethe was a rock star for Louisa. You can get a 30-day free trial to Audible by clicking the affiliate link in the description and at the same time you will be supporting me making this podcast. Once we go to the hosting services, this is a labor of love. Without further ado, this is Small Umbrella in the Rain, Little Woman Podcast, being an authentic writer. I've been talking to lots of Fritz fans. The symposium scene is their favorite scene in the, in the novel, and it's never adapted. And I thought it's pretty interesting because it plays a big part of Joe's growth. I think they try to represent this scene a little bit in 1994 a bit, when I think, remember when they have that whole debate yeah. around female suffrage? And I think they, they try to represent that a little bit, but somehow in a more, you know, intimate setting in the boarding house. 
I, I guess I appreciated that bit, but I guess like uh, the whole symposium scene, I mean, it, it would always be just really nice to see that represented because I think it shows Joe changing. And uh, I mean, it, show, it shows off how, uh, to me, Professor Bear is just a real um, intellectual and just the sort of person Joe can respect, but it's also her sort of expanding mm. her mind because she, she's really never been away from home before. I guess if, if I understand correctly, she's a little bit limited by where she lives and the people she interacts with, and I guess the symposium is a way of doing that. Louisa now, she talked about how Joe is like sort of exposing herself to very dark themes when she's writing trash yeah. fiction. And I think it's a way for her to expand her horizons, but without doing doing it for sensationalist reasons. Yeah, I, I agree. I think she mentions in the 1994 film that, you know, Concord has a very limited intellectual circle. Maybe the scene in the 1994 film when, when they meet and they have that intellectual discussion. And I've heard some people saying that it's difficult to adapt because they're speaking about religion, very Christian themes. But I think you don't need to include that. You can have them speak about human rights, abolitionism. Yeah. Or anything that Louisa hold dear yeah. to her. I'm flipping back into my copy, I, uh, my Kindle copy, mm. to kind of look at the, the scene. I think they are tied together because, you know, she has that realization of her stories. We've been thinking a lot about how a lot of people's grievances with professor, uh, the professor mm. is kind of an elitist. But I also feel like Louisa, in a way, was sort of an elitist as well. But I feel like people are sort of, oh, like, why does he look down on her for writing genre fiction to feed her family? And I'm like, well, she doesn't feel good about it either. So which I think we, we have discussed before, but I think it, it, she, she, in a way, wants to be producing very highbrow things as well. Even if it focuses very much on very domestic experiences, mm-hmm. she still wants to provide a sort of intellectually stimulating experience. I feel like uh, people massively um, overlook that. I notice in chapter they refer very subtly to these things. She always puts in these little details, like two matrons have been discussing mm-hmm. women's rights and, um, and that sort of thing. She really likes doing things like that. What are your thoughts on, on the chapter? I actually read this quote from Stephen King, where he talked about Louisa's sensational stories, how he came to the conclusion that she was not very happy with them. She was much more interested in writing realism like The Old Woman, even though it's a children's book, it's written with a realistic style. I think in that chapter, Louisa herself is condemning the sensationalism. She's not supporting the fact that she's writing them. Obviously, I think our ideas about sensationalism, mm-hmm. sensationalism has definitely changed a lot since that time. I think I made a reference to my first Little Women video, which is that she was talking more about things, people who create art that mm-hmm. is just meant to entertain and not really add anything to, exactly. you know, to the you know intellectual life of society. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not so much that, oh, you can't write about dark things and you can't write about really um, gr- uh, gruesome stuff or spicy stuff. It's more that, well, if you're writing it just to, like, you know, just like, like mm-hmm. a Transformers film, it's just like, <laughs> oh, like, you want to have, like, more Transformers films or, like, more, you know, super, super dark, super mm-hmm. dark you know, that don't really add thematically to, to our intellectual life. So I think it's more if it's superficially dark or, or superficially uh, very grim, then it's not really adding mm-hmm. much to, to, to us as a society. It's not really adding much to the fabric of um, of art. And, and I 
Sensation is in the 19th century that was very different than what it is now. Yeah. Like the teams that we have now, they would have been horrifying to them. Yeah. You know, Game of Thrones stuff, that would have been yeah. completely yeah. banned. There's the scene in Rose in Bloom where Rose's uncle tells Rose that there's this book that she should not read and she wants to read it. And I hear like some little woman fans saying that, oh, what was this book that he was talking about? And then they make these old gestures that maybe it was like you know, Madame Bovary or something. And yeah. then I was like thinking, no, maybe it's something that Louisa actually c- came across when she was writing the sensational stories and she yeah. didn't like that. Yeah, so I don't think she was about, you mm. know, exploring sort of very intimate themes or more yeah. about, like, even, even being a bit more sexual. I think it was just more, well, what, is your, what are you saying? Mm. Are you actually saying something? Are you presenting a very authentic aspect of yourself? And I guess she feels that's missing from her more sensationalist stories, which is that, well, this is not who I am. Yeah. This is, uh, I'm not saying anything about myself. It's not earnest. That's a struggle when you're working in the creative industry, when you're being asked to do this thing that appears to the masses and then you just want to do the authentic art for yourself. Maybe it contributes something to the society. I think that that trying to strike a balance between what is profitable and what is Mm. actually good, I think, you know, it it is tough for creatives to deal with. And, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of that even now. What is making money is, you know, a Disney remake. When everyone is like, well, why don't people just write more original stories? Why don't people um, make something new? But I think it it shows us that a lot of the the money-making side of art has not changed Mm. because sometimes you resort to, like, the same formulas in order to make art profitable. And and I like seeing that kind of universality in in the work. And, And I think I might point out, I don't know if it was to you, but... I think it, the professor kind of parallels Joe's father in a way. There's a little section where he says, well, you know, I feel like maybe you should do something a bit more authentic and not really listen to too many critics and don't, don't like, like cut apart your work mm. or whatever it, whatever it is, uh, analogy that she uses. And, and I like how that statement from her father pays off later when, when the professor actually is critiquing these stories. I, I like how those two, those two, two, two different statements are connected. Yeah, and I think there's even a quote in Little Woman where the narrator says that the critique is the writer's best friend. Mm-hmm. So she's definitely listening what the people are saying about her work. I do wish that that aspect of, of what Louisa is saying in that particular section, I feel I, I feel like people should just scrutinize it mm-hmm. a lot better. I, I feel like people don't really read into that. Because I think a lot of times little women, people take out of it what they're taking into the work. They kind of take out their own notions about, you know, um, Joe and creativity because everyone wants to see themselves in Joe. Mm-hmm. And I guess I feel like whatever they see, a lot of times when people want to insert themselves into Joe's character, they kind of take out, like, you know, their own message. But I think 
when you read into it, no one is really telling Joe what to do or not to do. Mm-hmm. Nobody has given her that sort of like imperative at any time. I, I wonder what you what you think. I think one of the problems I had when I was doing this research for my essays was that there are a lot of Louisa May Alcott schoolers who actually read into Louisa being the Joe in films and not Joe in the book. They take the narration that, oh, Friedrich was criticizing Joe as a writer, when in the novel it's the opposite. I don't know how people have ignored that. Maybe it tells something about the films, the way they show Friedrich and Joe arguing. I mean, that doesn't happen in the novel, and then they never show Joe and Laurie arguing, <laughs> which happens yeah, in the yeah. novel. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I was surprised rereading the book again. I realized, I was like, wow, there's not really a confrontation mm. at all. No. Like, um, I guess, like, adding conflict, it helps the visual media. Mm. I think it makes that part of Joe's evolution a bit more explicit. I didn't have as much of an issue with, say, 1994, because mm. I think it, her being resistant to the message which she wouldn't do in the book. I think the professor coming back and articulating yeah. to her, oh, this is why I think, like, you know, that your your work could be better. I think you're better than this. Which is essentially what he gets across in the book, but in a very, in a much less explicit way. Yeah. I hated the interaction that they had <laughs> in the Better Girl adaptation. Like, this is not new to you. I've talked to you yeah. about it, but it, it's just the fact that she's like, no, no, nobody's going to remember you, but, like, everyone's going to remember my name. I'm a good writer. I'm already good. I don't need to improve. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. It is so silly because, you know, I was doing the research, then I came across this passage that Louisa had written to her journals. Emerson had given her this advice and she was following it and now she's a much better writer because of that. But then I was talking to someone who was, well, later I found out that they were on Joe and Laurie camp, but they were like, oh, I hated Friedrich's character in, in Gerwig's film. She's right. I hate all the German people because Greta Gerwig hates German people. Okay, this is getting a bit weird now. Wow. <laughs> I should know better not to talk with, you know, Joe and Laurie fans. That was yeah. interesting. I, I mean, someone actually commented on my video as a Laurie fan and was like, oh, I, saw, I always thought, like, Joe should have ended up with Laurie. And, and I'm, you know, why, like, after years and years of, uh, of like, adaptations and, and analysis, people still think Laurie is, is better for, for Joe. All like the toxicity. We we we've discussed this before, but like he's so he's so toxic, and like the fact that like Greta Gerwig thinks that like he brings her into the adult world, I think it's just silly. It's so silly. He's a man child when he first like says, "Oh, Joe, be with me," and Joe's like, "You just want me to take care of you," and and to me like that's not asking someone to enter um, adulthood with you. That's that's just being like, "Oh, well, I'm a man child." Um, to be with me and you know I mean in, in a sense he also wants her to stay a child with him um, and maintain that dynamic that they've always had like, like I don't know what she was thinking when she said that one of my friends well she's a big Amy fan and <laughs> well she said that you know Greta Gerwig had said that Laurie is Joe's first feminist ally and then she was like well you know, for the third part of the book, it's the opposite. He's the most anti-feminist character in the in the story, but then he grows in that relationship with Amy. Yeah. I have no idea what is the book that Greta Gerwig had read. I yeah. didn't get the copy of that. Yeah, no, I guess like, you sent me that article, uh, or the, the internet, yeah. and, like, I couldn't even get through the mm, No. I, I, I was like, I think Greta Gerwig didn't read this book. Yeah, I feel the same. And then that part of Freddy preventing Joe to write Little Woman, 
Joe doesn't write Little Woman in Little Woman. She writes like when she's in her mid-30s. In Joe's Boys, like two sentences that Joe wrote this book, she became famous. Like That's it. We, 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 we've established in the last talk mm. that I feel like a lot of people don't read the sequels. And I guess people don't acknowledge the sequels. I think there was someone I on YouTube that I watched who like, loved Greta Gerwig. The, uh, that film and then read the book I was like I was so frustrated that like Joe didn't like you know publish her book and she gave up at the end I'm like she, but she didn't <laughs> yeah Louisa yeah. didn't write Little Woman when she was in her 20s she was in her mid 30s and Little Woman at, like the whole saga it's a Bildungsroman semi-biography yeah <laughs> yeah I yeah. know yeah. Yeah. I mean it's uh, I mean it, it's more accurate to, to life that she you know didn't published until like her 30s mm. and I think it also makes sense because then you just are a more mature writer yeah. um, at that age you know for most people mm. we, we like cannot get around talking around Greta Gerwig every time we, <laughs> uh, we, we talk but uh, I think we also talked a little bit about how Joe and the professor established sort of this common language between them mm. when they yeah. when they talk with each other because the use of thou and you and uh, so I guess for me I, I think it's like what we've discussed is that he doesn't want to hold her at a distance and so it's almost like a pet name it's like for, for them having a common language uh, with each other but also just establishing that they are the ones who are the closest to each mm. other uh, which is great I, I don't think it's as extreme in the actual like yeah. mentioning of German because it's oh, like for your friends you say du and then for like say professional relations your boss or or someone you don't really know yeah. you use me. and so then when you establish sort of a rapport with them then you would say um, do it's not quite as extreme as how Fritz takes it little women Louisa was not a native German speaker so you know yeah. she, she was kind of like doing her own thing mm. in this language which you know I don't have a problem with in Germany and in Russian, I think they use a lot of the formal language, which is not that common in English or here in Finland. But then in the 19th century, I would imagine that it was even more important for the Germans to use see and do. Yeah. So there was a bigger difference. Yeah, probably. So when Louisa would have been in Germany, she would have been <laughs> using see a lot when she was talking to people. But yeah, I think, you know, in that relationship with Joe and Friedrich, too, it becomes more of a pet name. Then it's interesting because when you read poems from Henry Thoreau or Goethe, they are always using the two. It makes you wonder if that was something that happened between Louisa and Henry. But that's all speculation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't really know for sure, but it's an interesting quirk. And I think we also forget sort of the more antiquated nature mm -hmm. of language um, at that time. I think we try so hard to modernize mm -hmm. Little Women and bring it into our own time that I think we forget that it's very much a product of its time and is very much colored by the, the history. Yeah. Which I think people forget factors a lot into the events in the book and actually colors. Yeah, it annoyed me a lot when Greta Gerwig was complaining how he's using the word too. Like, I'm reading Little Woman when I'm 17, and I think that's actually really romantic. But then again, I was studying German back then. I have this old Finnish translation of Little Woman, and the part where he calls Joe Professorine, it's translated to Professor's Little Wife. And then, oh, no. yeah, in German it means female professor. Female professor, yeah. He's giving her this title that she's his equal. I can imagine someone, a Finnish person reading Little Woman, that poor translation from the 50s, 
oh, Friedrich is such a sexist, and then in the <laughs> original he's a feminist. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the person who translated that didn't speak a word of German. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a severe misunderstanding of uh, of that word. Yeah, mm. uh, the thing is, like, it's so cute when he calls her professor. Mm. It's like, yeah, because like, like even though he's older than her, like he just sees her also as a professor and on his level. You know, even though like on paper they don't start out that way. I really can't understand mm. how people. You can't get behind this relationship. Yeah, part of me hopes that they will make a Little Woman adaptation where they clearly show that Friedrich is German, but maybe also include parts of him living in Germany. Yeah, yeah. that would be nice. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it was important to Louis that he was German, or, or that Laurie was Italian. Yeah, so, uh, because I think there is a romanticization of Europeans mm. quite a bit, because I think they go quite in-depth into like, Laurie's appearance and sort of his nature because of his uh, sort of European background, and Louise is definitely invested in sort of exploring these things. But, you know, I, I, I mean, she definitely favors sort of the German side of things. Mm. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people don't even really address Laurie's Italian mm. side a whole lot. There are lots of times in, in the novel where Laurie's temper is connected to his Italian side. In the movies, Laurie doesn't really have a temper. So you don't really see that connection. And there are just as many comparisons of Laurie being Italian as they are afraid of being German. Because he was German, he loved this and this. Because Laurie was Italian, he did things like that. It's because Laurie has brown skin in the book. When he moves to Concord, only people he makes friends with are these sisters in the neighborhood. He's kind of being discriminated because of the brown skin. There's some truth in that because, you know, Italian immigrants and then German immigrants, they weren't very accepted back in the days. That's true. Then yeah. Louisa's publisher, I think he asked Louisa to rewrite Laurie's character for the 1880 edition, so he became more American, and they erased a part of him having brown skin, and sort of made him more handsome. Yeah. yeah. Quote-unquote handsome. I feel like adaptations, the brown skin thing, they don't lean into that um, a whole lot. No. But, um, it's really interesting to see how many details people omit when they adapt Laurie. I mean, mm. and we discussed last time how they don't acknowledge how Laurie has an arc. Laurie's musical nature kind of acknowledged sometimes, not really. And then Laurie's toxicity as a person, as someone approaching Joe, not, um, not acknowledged yeah. anymore. So I, I think... Um, it's really weird how in popular imagination he's sort of this guy who's a potential love mm-hmm. interest. That's really it. And because the thing is, to buy into him going for Amy at the end, you have to give him a sort of character change. Yeah. And I think at least in 1994, he says, oh, I'm off to do business. Uh, I'm going to go uh, work with my grandfather. And, you know, um, and he tells Amy, can, can you wait for me? But that's not really fully fleshed out. And, of course, it's completely omitted in in Greta Gerwig's one, you just kind of feel like, oh, he found out that Beth died, so we want to be with him, mm-hmm. and we needed Beth dying in order for that whole love story to happen, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> Talking this with a friend of mine, maybe Louis actually wanted to write a young adult novel because of just sexual awakening. And a lot of people take Little Women as a young adult novel. Yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, there's that weird thing in the UK where they have cut the novel into two parts. It is very distinctively two parts. Yeah, it's same here um, in Finland. It's in two yeah. parts. Oh, it was. But I also feel like the sexual uh, stuff, from, from what I know, is just more present in Rose and Bloom rather than in, um, in Little Women. And Little Women, it's very, it's a, it's a lot, 
feel like it's a lot more subtextual? Do you, do you think that's accurate? Somewhat. But I think all of Lewis's novels have some kind of sexual tension mm-hmm. between Joe archetype and the Frederick archetype. I can see that with Joe and the Professor. How would you say that applies with sort of the more Laurie character or, or that sort of more Faustian character? I think there is a scene where Amy sort of acknowledges that Laurie looks like very Italian, very artistically inclined. So she begins to pay attention to him more than she did before, like his looks, the way he looks. So there is that aspect, but then with Laurie, one of my friends said that the fact that Laurie is horny, that doesn't excuse him harassing Joe. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I mean, you can definitely see him being uh, definitely horny for um, for Joe, but it's for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Right? It's because, you know, he wants to basically take this friendship and basically um, make it into his own image and mm-hmm. also basically be able to kind of play out his own sort of sexual awakening and sexual frustration in that relationship. But, uh, but of course, it doesn't really excuse how he talks to her and how mm-hmm. he blackmails her. And it is just a, a generally a real man-child in this yeah. jerk. There's that interesting um, bit I, we might have talked about last time where he tries to write sort of a piece of music about mm-hmm. Joe, but then can't really envision yeah. him, which kind of emphasizes how much he's really projecting on her more than actually appreciating her. And uh, which I feel like that's uh, it's like such a teenager mm-hmm. thing to do as well. Yeah. He's imagining this dream ghost and then it doesn't really fit into Joe's character and then this ghost starts to look like Amy so I don't think he could have done that if he had true feelings for Joe. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. One of my friends, she thought that maybe the reason Louis added that Laurie proposing Joe was because she wanted people to see how how they were a bad match. I got to think about Goethe's Werther that we talked last time. You know, Louis was very educated on Goethe and, you know, Goethe and yeah, themes yeah. and all of that. I was wondering, like, if Louisa wanted to make this statement with the, with the proposal, yeah. how, you know, Laurie's like, I'm going to kill myself if you don't, if you don't marry me. She kind of didn't really expect that, you know, people interpretate that sequence same way as they did with uh, Goethe's Werther. Completely wrong. <laughs> Or maybe Louisa knew that that would make her the most money, and that's why she wrote it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, so, so you see, like, like, she wanted to, that sort of declaration to actually, like, spice up the scene a bit? Oh, maybe, like, she wanted to make this statement that you should not marry this kind of guy blackmailing you. Yeah. Or maybe she didn't really care about it. <laughs> Just made it because... Made you know, lots of money for Get, and maybe it could make lots of money for her. But I yeah. don't think Louisa was that superficial. Oh, yeah, no, I, I don't think she was. I, and I think if we remember from, like, a lot of characters from Goethe who actually had that sort of sentiment, mm-hmm. like, they did not end up very well. No. I mean, dies. I mean these people, I mean, they, they got very, became very glorified yeah. during Storm One Kong, but, um, yeah, but still, you know, for, for the kind of book that Louisa was writing, um, I don't think that would be a marker of, of a, the character you should be rooting for. Yeah. I, think, I mean, Laurie's kind of a parody of, of that, in a way. And, and even in Goethe, I don't, I don't think Goethe was even no. endorsing that mm-hmm. here. Yeah, he was criticizing being overly emotional. 
And I think we, yeah, we talked about this last time, how Lavi's proposal, it's completely opposite to Fredrik's proposal. But it, you know, explains why people still today misunderstand what's going on there yeah, in the proposal. Yeah, I, um, I love how we, we've talked before about how in cultural conversation, mm. we know how to acknowledge, oh, Edward Cullen is yeah. toxic. Uh, Jacob Black is toxic. Um, these characters in young adult fiction are toxic. But somehow in, like, the classic you know, work that has defined so much of coming of age fiction, we cannot recognize a toxic character. And that's not part of mainstream conversation, and even Greta Gerwig, who purports to be making a feminist work, can't even, can't even see that. It's funny how popular imagining um, of people just kind mm. of work an original work, which you've also seen with The Professor as well, regrettably. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. If you wish to follow Emily, she has a booktube channel called Emiloid, and she also makes excellent video essays. If you wish to follow Small Umbrella in the Rain, I am on YouTube, Tumble, and Instagram under the name Little Woman Channel. And if you wish to find the transcript for this episode, go to Fairy Chamber slash The Little Woman Project. Thank you for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye! Whether a date night or family holiday outing, Meadowlark's Winter Walk of Lights is the perfect way to experience the magic of the holidays. The half-mile walk through Vienna's enchanting Meadowlark Botanical Gardens features lighted nature themes and sparkling displays. Get your tickets now at winterwalkoflights.com. Extend your holiday season and beat the rush with a weeknight visit in November or early December. Plan your visit and buy tickets at winterwalkoflights.com. That's winterwalkoflights.com.